And I know that's not true. And when I pulled out the quote, I knew it wasn't true. And I thought about, oh, I should give some sort of frame at least. Not necessarily, maybe I shouldn't post it because I think it's a good article, but, um, but I should give some sort of frame about this. And then I was really busy and I didn't. I thought, ah, oh, well. And I posted it. And a trans person who's really dear to me called me out on it in a really compassionate way and just said, um, I felt really excluded by what you posted. And if I didn't know, uh, if I didn't know and trust you, I probably would have unfollowed you because it hurt to read that from a source that I trusted. And in our interaction, I responded first with, oh my God, I'm so sorry. Like, you know, I did respond with help me understand and we had a good conversation and he helped me understand better. But I also realized that I felt a little prickly and defensive inside. And so I then have thought a lot about the four places of prickly defensiveness that came up in me, figuring like probably they'll come up in me again and probably they come up in other people. Um, And I want to share those defenses that came up and also the way I have since talked myself down from them. Um, The first thing that came up and the one that I mentioned to this person who was talking to me about this is, but I yes, I hear your response and reaction to this, but also five uh, five women with vaginas wrote to me saying how thanking me for posting it, saying how much it resonated with their experience and how much that's increasing their strength and passion and advocating for their own pleasure. And so figuring like, well, not everything can be for everyone and isn't it important that this perspective gets expressed too? And yeah... But but no, like it's again, nobody was saying not the uh, not the person who called me out and and not that 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 the perspective of women advocating for their pleasure is not a thing that we should be talking about. But to do so doesn't need like doesn't need to and shouldn't be done in an exclusive way. It was talking about a way that that it, and so just a simple frame, which I, uh, I eventually put, I collaborated with the person who called me out on what the frame should be. And so I added on the Facebook page, we really wish that this used different language in parentheses, quote unquote, people with pussies, rather than implying that everyone with a vagina is a woman, but still there's some good wisdom in here. And so um, adding that frame then, at least to a certain extent, is we're able to express the truth in the article, but also give the macro perspective about it and maybe some people who haven't thought about that before. So that's defense number one that came up. Um, defense number two is, but I found it through an intersectional feminist page. I trust <laughs> the people who posted this. And so that was actually what I was thinking about when I thought like, oh, I'm busy, I won't, because it must be okay, because I found it here. And that's just silly. I shouldn't have thought about that as a defense because also like I knew better. I decided, oh, I know better, but I'm too busy, so I won't do it. And then thinking about, well then, but there are those who trust our page that then might repost something saying, oh, but it must be okay because sex or smart people posted it. And so that deflates that argument. And then um, I think the biggest thing for me, um, because... I mean, it's just no secret how 
fucking passionate I am about inclusivity and and moving toward a world that that where everyone can be safe and free to be who they are. And so the, the defense that came up in me, but like, but don't you know? Don't you see that I am on your team? Don't you know how much I care? And that like, it's like. Yeah, of course he did, or he wouldn't have been engaging with me compassionately about this. Like, yes, I care, and yes, I can do better, and also, it's not about me. And so, um, that one I want to be particularly careful about in the in the in the future. And um, the fourth thing is just the thing about like, ah, but we can't be perfect. Like, I don't want to have to like walk on eggshells for fear of offending anybody. And that's something that when I hear in other people, I so quickly go to this thing that I really do believe is true, that I could do even better at acting on it. And that is, um, it's not about worrying about not offending somebody. It's not about like, oh, being politically correct or like using the right word. It's about just like, where's your heart in this? Like, like really, what is the world that you would like to see? And what, you know, and, and of course, of course, nobody can be perfect. Like everybody's on a journey here, but like, are you really being as considerate as you know how to be? And where you don't know, are you reaching out for help? And so this was a case where I knew how to be more considerate. I knew I should have put a frame and then I didn't out of laziness and feeling busy. And I could have done better. And I've since like at least, um, you know, amended the Facebook post, but also the Facebook post isn't the point. I'm just so glad that this whole interaction happened because I care deeply about increasing my, my sensitivity and, and beyond that. And I care deeply about the world that I would like to see. And so I'd sure as hell be as considerate as I sure as hell better be as considerate as I can, uh, within it. And that is my story. Thank you for listening. And I want to, I just, Jamie's one of the most thoughtful people I know about all of this stuff and about language and gender and bodies. And so I want to now just like turn the floor to Jamie um, for like, what do you most care about us personally? And then like listeners of this podcast and like the wider world knowing about language and gender and bodies. Yeah. Um, so first off, Stephanie, thank you for sharing that story. Um, it's always really, really exciting um, to hear people kind of thinking critically about the way that they use language and engage with things and um, engaging with kind of being called out in that way. So that's really wonderful, and thank you um, for that. Um, so with regards to specifically language that came up in that, in that Facebook post, um, there can be this thing that happens um, where we we might know to say you know people with vaginas instead of assuming that instead of saying women and assuming that that is referring um, to people with vaginas that comes up that when we're talking very specifically about trans people we use this language because we know like oh this is this is the moment this is the moment for our language we're ready you know but when uh, we're not talking explicitly about trans people, the language kind of reverts, which totally makes sense because it's the language we've spent our entire lives learning, you know? Um, and so I think a really great thing to be doing with that is to not, when at all possible, not assume that everyone that we're talking about is a cisgender person. Because um, often the assumption is that if it's not like stated or made clear that like at least one of these people is transgender or gender nonconforming, um, that they're not. When in fact we really don't know. Uh, we don't know 
from how they're presenting. We don't know from really anything unless we're explicitly kind of told, you know? And so it certainly helped me to adjust my language to think of that every group that I'm talking about, um, I don't know uh, kind of people's mm. folks' identities in it. Um, something else I've also been thinking a lot about, and this has actually been fun for me because I like language and maybe it would be fun for others, um, is if I'm about to use a sentence where I say, uh, you know, the women do whatever, or the men, or really any group, um, taking a second and thinking, what do I really, really, really mean when I'm saying this? Mm. Um, do I mean people, if I'm talking about like street harassment, for instance, do I mean people who, when they're walking down the street, other people perceive them as female? And in that case, I might actually want to say people who get read as female. Um, do I mean people you know who were who were raised female and socialized to I don't know play with Barbies or whatnot? Um, and in that case, I want to try to be specific about that language. Um, or do I mean you know people with vaginas? Do I mean people uh, who can become pregnant, which is also not all people with vaginas? <laughs> you know. Um, I had a big uh, a light bulb moment and started saying like. Uh, People who are pregnant, rather than necessarily women who are pregnant, as I just met somebody who is not a woman and is pregnant. <laughs> yeah, there's really kind of that. That certainly, uh, yeah. Um, so really, just kind of thinking really deeply about like when we're using these words um, about gender or about bodies. What are we really, really trying to say? And sometimes also we are talking very specifically about like women who can become pregnant, which is a totally fine thing to be doing. But um, when we make it clear that that's the language or that that's what we're saying, um, it's not just saying, and we assume these are the only people who can become pregnant or whatnot. It's really being specific that this is what I'm talking about and I know that this isn't everybody who is a woman or who can become pregnant. And I find that to be... Uh, super useful mm. in terms of language. Um, so my one other thing is kind of in a in a slightly different um, but very related realm, um, which is that I was thinking a lot recently about um, a long conversation I had with uh, a former partner, sort of at the beginning of our relationship, where I had I had been using they as a pronoun at the time, um, had been presenting much more female. Um, and had like mentioned that and he was only a little receptive to it and whatnot. Um, and at some point I said, okay, this is really important to me. Actually, we're going to sit down we're going to have a conversation about this. Um, and we did. And I talked for like 20 or 30 minutes straight and it was really intense and really difficult. Um, and at the end he was like, thank you so, so much for, for sharing that. Now that like I really, really heard like what you're experiencing and whatnot, I've, you know, well, I'm very much going to change my language and change the way I think about this. And then said something which really, really affected me, which is that if you could like explain it like this to everyone, I don't think anyone would really like kind of have trouble getting it. And in one way, that felt really great. In another way, I was like, oh, but I can't. This was exhausting. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's great that this happened, but like, this was exhausting. Mm. And what's a way that I can come up with? Um, like knowing that that might be true, but that I don't want to do that to move through the world and realize that like people's language maybe isn't going to be where I need it to be um, a lot of mm. times. And as someone who's kind of constitutionally not angry, like a lot of people's response to that um, 
to language that really isn't working for them as anger, and that's great and legitimate and like really there needs to be like space for that. But as someone whose yeah. response isn't that, yeah. um, kind of what happens with me is when I'm in a place, I kind of take stock of the way people talk about things and the language they're using, and I realize that like you know X Y Z friend really great figuring out at their own pace maybe isn't going to use language that like works for me, and subsequently I won't. Uh, kind of make myself vulnerable in whatever ways to that person and sort of just moving through the world and figuring out how people are talking really um, allows me to figure out how I can kind of be in places. And so language is really kind of like, for me at least, indicative of where people are in terms mm. of gender and bodies and thinking. Hmm. And I'm so glad that there... That people are so different where there are people that are wired to like to always get angry and that there are people who are wired like you are to to listen and hear and have patience i think that that having the whole range of people's reactions is what keeps the world moving forward hmm so how do we fuck up better and i mean the, the, uh, and Aiming for our language to be—I don't even want to say inclusive. I mean accurate, right? Because because using exclusive language isn't just like isn't exclusive. It's wrong because you're actually not saying what you mean. Mm. But we're also the or or what is the truth? But we're also like as you said, it's it's a it's a language that we've spent our whole lives learning, and there is some element, some amount of deprogramming that's going to be necessary to, you know, as we all move toward being the best people we can. So. Um, what is what? What do you have any hints for how how we can fuck up better, mm. and when we do, how to move forward from that without making it all about us? Yeah, definitely. Um, so something that I found was useful is <laughs> I was thinking about uh, this a lot recently too, which is that um, as a trans person, I still didn't magically have all of this language. You know, I also had to go through this whole deprogramming. <laughs> Uh, you didn't get the welcome packet? <laughs> I know, I must have missed it. I'm very cranky. Um, but something that really, really helped me was kind of realizing that, like, you know, it is scary to think that you might mess up language and hurt someone. And for me, that made it kind of difficult to sort of speak about things in many ways. So, what I did was decide for a period of time, I'm going to work on this language just in my head. Um, in a way where I, you know, of course, would try not to say things that hurt other folk out loud, but I also wouldn't make, you know, speaking out loud and speaking publicly my space to try to figure out language. And just whenever I was, you know, walking down the street, if I saw, I don't know, if I was like narrating like what I saw in my head, um, I would just sort of realize like, oh, I'm gendering all these people I see on the street. Mm-hmm. Like, what would it sound like if I didn't do that? Um, or if I didn't make a, assumptions about folks' identities on the street and whatnot. And so doing that just in my head for a while, I found really, really, really useful and made it really uh, much easier to transition into using that language out loud. I appreciate that frame so much. And I think that I and we on the podcast will continue to fuck up sometimes and will continue to learn to do better and I want to just invite everybody listening to be wherever you are on the journey right now and to come along with us in the learning more and being as thoughtful as we can be. Any other closing thoughts before we wrap this briefs? 
brief this brief briefs episode are we gonna have boxers episodes where we fight about something <laughs> ideal you know I actually really like that idea everybody says <laughs> that we're so gentle and always nice to each other I mean I wouldn't want to like fight like in an angry way but like to to talk in, in, in a way that like we know we're gonna disagree and throw down I think that this is that's a great idea Dave yeah I love that if you are listening and have ideas that <laughs> let us know Thank you for joining us for this first briefs episode, Jamie. We just want to thank you so much for doing this and 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 uh, and and helping us out and giving your thoughts and, and feedback about this. And it's always appreciated. And you are welcome on here anytime um, for any reason. Um, you know, uh, your your presence here is only good, and we really thank you for that. Thank you guys so so much for for having me both in this brief and also just in general on the podcast. Yay love all around and now we have to go <laughs> so much Dave's love. gonna show us his kitten yay <laughs> okay bye it's gonna be sure, it's gonna be sure. <laughs> thanks for joining us on this episode of sex for often wrong people <laughs> we'll see you next time That's it for our first ever briefs episode. Thanks again so much to Jamie for joining us. And thank you to all of you for being in this conversation with us. And like many good discussions, I feel like that stirred a lot of deep questions and didn't necessarily provide clear-cut answers. And I look forward to continuing to sit in those questions and I invite you all to continue to join me. A friend of mine recently offered me the frame, like how can we fully honor the world that we would like to see while simultaneously fully honoring the world as it is and holding those things in balance is... Um, there's a lot to think about there. <laughs> and, um, on our next full episode, which we will release by Christmas, we are so excited to welcome Shakina Nafak, amazing woman of many talents. We talk about all sorts of things from gender complexity to heartbreak and much more. So we look forward to sharing that with you soon. And as you know, we love hearing from you at any time. All our info is on our website, sexforsmartpeople.com. Let us know if you have questions, ideas, objections. Let us know if you have an idea of who we should invite on board for Boxers episode. And you can follow us on Facebook, Tumblr, and Twitter at Sex for Smarts if you haven't already. And we're going to close out this particular episode with three of our favorite recent listener responses from previous episodes. I'm going to read one, and then there's one from a voicemail that was left for us that I'll share, and then I'll read the third one as well. So the first of these three is um, in response to episode 24 to your listener from the friend in a dom-sub relationship won't respond to emails or texts until the dom is cc'd. Valuing an independent friendship does not make you a bad kinkster. You have shown your friend that you openly respect his relationship and it's okay for you to want him to openly respect your friendship. His dom-sub contract doesn't extend to you and you have a right to say, when I try to get in touch with you and you ignore me because I haven't complied with a contract that you have with your partner, it makes me feel like our friendship doesn't count to you. That hurts and it doesn't work for me. Can we find another way to deal with this? If your friend cares about you and his partner cares about him... 
they will find a way to make this work, whether it's a permission slip, email forwarding rule, or anything else. If your friend tells you that he still won't talk to you unless you follow the rules, he's using his contract as an excuse to either create distance or maintain a power dynamic between the two of you with which he knows you are not comfortable. That's not caring, and that's on him, not you. And here's response number two. This message is a response to a listener question in episode 23, a guy who's married with children and wonders if he ought to come out as gay. I'm also a cis man who's been married for many years with grown children. All my life I've found uh, bodies of both sexes to be arousing, but uh, growing up in a typical American mainstream society, heterosexuality was the, uh, the easy path. I never pursued sexual relationships with men because I didn't really know how to, and my life was full and busy anyway. I did find uh, gay porn to, out of curiosity, um, of course, but anyway, due to some uh, combination of getting older and some significant life events uh, a year or so ago, I decided that I didn't want to go through the rest of my life wondering what uh, sex with another man would really be like and, and that it was time to do something about it. Since I had no idea how that was going to work out, I didn't want to make drastic changes in my normal relationships. So I created uh, profiles on some online hookup sites and had a bunch of uh, stupid worthless interactions, of course, uh, but eventually found a local guy who seemed interesting and sane. We went for lunch, um, found that we got along pretty well and uh, liked each other and planned a meeting at a motel. Uh, we did kind of everything, and it was fun, and I, I really enjoyed it. And we met a couple times, and then uh, he decided he couldn't do the double life thing. And but uh, we parted friends. Um, I've found a few more people that are really good, and I get along with, and they're they're nice. And we've had uh, some discreet sessions, and it's it's been good. My normal life hasn't been affected, and uh, this this balance seems to work out uh, really well for me. The main point here is that uh, your listener doesn't necessarily have to make a choice immediately and possibly not ever. Uh, I think it would be a really good idea for him to find a way to try having sex with another guy before deciding he's gay. Uh, how sad would it be if he made a big deal of coming out to his family, radically changed their relationships, and then found out that he really wasn't into men? In several episodes, Dave and Stephanie have emphatically made the point that uh, gender is a continuum rather than a binary, and that's also true of sexual preference. There's no requirement to declare that we're either gay or straight. Uh, somewhere in between is quite possible. I know I am. And here's the third and last listener response for today. Hi, Dave and Stephanie. I'd like to just say that I really love what you're doing. I'm writing specifically about the part in episode 21 when you were discussing the professor who is suing his student for character assassination. I think the best advice you had was for the professor to not engage in sexual acts with people who he has actual power hierarchies in his professional life. My ex is one of those attractive female teachers who had an affair with one of her students. Here's where I don't know where I stand. I have an anecdote that happened to me. My 28-year-old cis female bisexual partner had sex with a cis male 18-year-old student, and nothing bad happened. He learned how to have sex as an inexperienced young man with a very experienced, relatively young lady. 
I don't know how emotionally adept he was at 18, but if he were a year younger and felt compelled to brag to his friends about his experience, my good friend and former love could be in prison. Female teachers are being prosecuted for having sex with their barely underage male students, and I don't see a victim here. So this is my actual anecdote involving my ex and her student. It's also my imaginary one because I have eroticized, romanticized, and fantasized about a lot of my teachers. I'm attracted to intelligent people. I don't think if I had the chance to sleep with the teacher I had a crush on that it would be an abuse of power. It could be a conflict of interest because I wouldn't know what grade I actually would have earned if she had graded on a curve. There might be an actual victim here. Again, love the show. The show is, in a lot of ways, just as much about love. I'll look into supporting you with a couple bucks to show my love. Thank you, thank you, thank you again to everybody who wrote in and um, anybody and everybody else, send us your thoughts anytime and we look forward to seeing you next time on Sex for Smart People. Bye.